This morning, I want to just start off with what we read in the in the scripture reading, First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter two, uh, which says again to remind you. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul, the Apostle Paul said this as he was making his way from Athens. I don't know if you know, remember the story from Acts chapter 17. He comes from Athens where he is, argues in uh, the Areopagus, and uh, he puts forth lots of uh, reasonings, and he uses uh, the Athens' own uh, favorite thing, which is philosophy, to try to convince them about Jesus Christ. And, um, and while he puts forth a good argument, there's apparently not too much fruit that comes from it. And so when he comes to Corinth, this is one of the first things that he says. This is his attitude when he comes to Corinth, which is that he is not going to come with excellent of speech, excellence of speech or wisdom, but he's going to bring you Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that is what my goal here is this morning. The format for the message is going to be a little bit different than perhaps what you're used to. Um, We are going to be doing a lot of reading out of the scriptures. And more so reading and probably less so comments. Uh, And we're going to be starting in Mark chapter 14 and verse 32. Mark chapter 14 and verse 32. And we are going to be reading from there until the next chapter and uh, verse 37. So we're going to be doing quite a lot of reading today, so I'm going to be warning you (laughs) that it's going to be, you're going to be using your eyes, and we're going to be uh, getting into the Word a little bit more uh, this morning. Um, I'm not bringing to you anything new this morning. Um, Sometimes as a speaker, especially as a guest speaker, you can feel the pressure to bring something new, some uh, new meaning of some Greek uh, thing you know, that we're finding in the New Testament, some, something that the Spirit has revealed to us that is new. And as, as, a, as a people of doctrine, these types of things excite us. But I'm telling you this morning that I'm not bringing to you anything new. I'm only, we're only going to be going over something very old, Uh, and something that makes us Christian, which is the story of Jesus Christ. And so we are going to get started. And you know something else I wanted to say? I really appreciated the the children's story this morning, um, talking about uh, victory over sin through Christ. And you know, as I myself listened to that, to that children's story and how it started off with the idea of, or the, the story about how the, the kid ate a whole, a whole bowl of chocolate-covered raisins. Was it raisins or almonds? Raisins, okay. That, uh, you know, and, and we're listening to that as a children's story, and we're like, you know, oh, that kid. But you know what? Like, I can do this sometimes. Does it, can anyone else uh, uh, relate to that? Yes? We all have struggles, and, and you know what? Me and myself, I am not bringing to you, you know, uh, as if I'm some great person or some great preacher or anything like this. You know, I'm, uh, George introduced me quite well. Um, 
So, you know, I, I don't want to give you the impression like I am bringing to you something from a superior intellect or that I am somehow better presenting something or am I am, that I am in any way better than any of you sitting here this morning, that any one of you could be doing this just as easily as I and would have just the same amount of, of impact. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so very much uh, for this day again. Uh, Lord, just a quick prayer for me that you will be with me. And Lord, as I have said, like I am nothing special. And uh, I would pray that you would bless my lips, that you would call to mind the things that need to be called to mind, that you would bring clarity of thought. And Lord, I uh, particularly pray for the congregation this morning that the Holy Spirit will be here among us, for them, for me. And Lord, that uh, we will come to know you as we talk about your son's uh, journey to the cross, that you will be with us, that you will reveal to us what it was like, uh, what the feeling was in the air, that you would bring to the images to our minds in a way that you have not done so before. Thank you so very much for being with us this morning, for dying for us on the cross. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So we're picking up the story of Christ. We're picking up again in uh, Mark chapter 15 and starting in verse 32. The reason that uh, I choose Mark this morning is because Mark is a, I don't know if you've had a chance to compare between the Gospels, but it is a very quick and concise book. More so than I, than I believe the other books. I believe it's the shortest book. I could be wrong about that. At least it has the shortest number of chapters. And so we are able to cover a lot of period of time by not having to read as much as you might have to in other, in other, um, in other gospels. Um, 1432. Did I say 15? My apologies. 1432. The prayer in the garden is where it starts. Um, And just so that everyone is aware of where we are in the story here, we're picking up at the Garden of of Gethsemane. And this is after three years, as, as, again, as I'm not bringing anything new here, as everyone knows, three years of ministry, of healing people, of bringing the word to the Israelites, coming there like a father to a lost nation, to bring them out of the depravity that they're in. Uh, He's healing lepers. He's healing people with withered hands, uh, bent over backs, issues with bleeding, leprosy, so on and so forth. Jesus' ministry has been nothing but a blessing to the nation. And we are just coming to the the very tail end of his ministry. And we're going to be going from here, the the Garden of Gethsemane, to uh, the crucifixion. We're starting in verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. This is the part of the story where Jesus is starting to be separated from the Father. 
And Jesus has, and you, Jesus' relationship with the Father was so very close that as as uh, sin started to be put on Jesus, the Father started to leave him. Now Jesus has never been in this situation before, either in his lifetime as a man on earth or in all of eternity prior to that. The Father has never been far away from him. The Father has always been with him. And so Jesus begins to go through an experience that he's not that he hasn't gone before and he has the words and again Mark is extremely concise he doesn't dwell on it very long but just hear the words that Jesus is saying he says my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death and this is the beginning of his suffering until he reaches the cross and he says stay here and watch and he went a little farther fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, which is, I think, another word for that might be dad. Dad, father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Spirit of Prophecy tells us that in this moment that Jesus... I'm going to quote it directly. In his agony, he clings to the cold ground as if to prevent himself from being drawn farther from God. And you can just imagine Jesus laying out prostrate on the ground, hanging on for dear life because his father is leaving him and is distancing himself from, from him. And you know, I wonder, you know, sometimes we don't think Necessarily, as we go through the story quickly, sometimes we don't think about what what Jesus was before he was a man, what his experience was in heaven, in heavenly realms, and so we're gonna we're gonna contrast that a little bit this morning about the experience that he goes through here versus what perhaps he might have been thinking about from his previous experience up to then. And I wonder if, as he's clinging onto the ground, and maybe as he's looking at the ground in his hand. You know, that he thinks back to when he first created Adam. Because the Bible tells us that uh, God formed man out of the dust. And we know from Scripture that it was actually Jesus who was our creator. It was Jesus who was the creator of the universe. And so it is actually Jesus who was forming Adam out of the mud. And forming him, uh, his hands, his feet, his and taking time to go through everything to be so uh, detailed and to think about what this person's life is going to be like. And it might have been such an amazing moment that he's having. He's spending his time going through and creating mankind who's going to be his friend. And his mind returns back to where he is in the garden as he's holding on to the ground and he sees the mud in his hand. Picking up again in verse 37. Then he came and found then he came and found them sleeping, talking about the disciples. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. As the father leaves Jesus, he reaches out to his friends, 
the ones who have been with him for the last three years, who he's become close with, especially Peter, James, and John. And as he comes to them the first time, they're sleeping, as he's going through the most difficult hour of his life. And again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of his friends, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut, out his, cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all, speaking about the disciples, then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. The young man the young man laid a hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. His friends were so quick to get away from him that one of them even ran away naked, which, by the way, this, uh, most commentators believe this guy to be uh, the author of the Gospel of Mark, um, who was one of Peter's disciples. They were so quick to get away from him that some even ran away naked. And, you know, I wonder, as that was happening, if Jesus thought back to some of his friends before he came to earth. And um, reading again from the Spirit of Prophecy, uh, there's this um, uh, talking about the second coming and the 1,000... Apologies. uh, Talking about uh, when the... the, um, when the when Christ first talked to the angels about the plan of redemption, just after Adam had sinned, Jesus goes before the the whole heavenly realm, all the angels, ten thousand times ten thousand, and he tells them about what he's going to do for mankind, and he tells them about how he's going to die and how he's going to suffer and how he's going to go through a terrible, terrible ordeal so that mankind can have a chance be saved <clears throat> and his friends the angels who have worked with him and served him they all bow down before him and they offer to take his place that they would prefer that they would go through the experience of the cross rather than him go through it and then we return to the moment that Jesus is going through right now as his friends run away from him 
not wanting to go through the suffering that he's about to go through. Now, mind you, they're willing to, to uh, bring out the swords, right? We see Peter here uh, getting out his sword and cutting off the ear of one of the servants. But as soon as Jesus makes them realize and says, you know, this is not what we're, going to be, what we're going to be doing. I am going to be going through this experience, and I'm going to let myself be crucified. This is when they don't know what to do. And so they run, and they leave, and they're not willing to go through the experience with him. And they're willing to, and they flee him. Such a contrast to what his life was before. I'm going to pick up again in uh, verse 53. And it says, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, <clears throat> and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and all the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. <clears throat> now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. This is an interesting tr- trial, don't you think? Where someone gets up and announces, Okay, we are now willing to hear testimony to put this guy to death. You know, it's not exactly like things are being weighed and that we're trying to see whether or not he is guilty or not. This is basically just the opportunity for people to come up and to testify against him. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying... We heard him say, I will te- destroy the temple, made of, which is made of hands. And within three days, I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood, up, priest stood up and asked Jesus directly, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. And again, the high priest asked him, saying, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now Jesus, at, to this point in the trial, has just sat back and said nothing. And the trial appears to be falling apart. They don't have a case against him. And if he just is quiet, most likely he's going to be free. But the question is asked, essentially, who are you? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And then Jesus says, I am. And he goes even farther and says, And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven, knowing full well that that answer is going to put him almost guaranteed towards the cross. But he can't pass up the chance of telling the truth and giving them a warning and letting them know that this is what it in, indeed is happening. Then the high priest tears his clothes and says, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And I wonder, you know, we can see here that Jesus is already thinking to another time, to the second coming when he will be sitting by the right hand of power and becoming in the, in the clouds of glory. And I, I wonder if in his mind he went there and he saw the glory of him coming in the clouds, of the angels 
tens of thousands times ten thousands coming with him and the glorious scene of light where he comes to save his people. His people who have sacrificed for him, his people who have been through much for him. And then I think his, his mind returns back to this moment where his people are trying to put him to death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. And so begins the physical suffering that Jesus is going to endure between here and the cross. And you know, as you, as you read through uh, the book of Mark, this is the first time that Jesus is actually hit or spit on or treated in any way that is uh, any kind of physical abuse. And it's actually, and it's so quick, there's no lead up to it, it's just, and then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him. We're going to pick up in verse 66. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, and again, this is the, the scene shifts to what's happening with Peter. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were also with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out onto the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little, little later, those who stood by again said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crows, and Peter calls to mind the word that Jesus has said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. And again, this is, this is showing Christ's friends, essentially, uh, or one of Christ's friends, denying that he even knows the guy. Not even... Not even just, you know, I don't agree with what he said or I don't understand what he's doing. It's, I don't know this guy. I don't even know what you're talking about. And uh, incidentally, uh, talking about the, how he begins to curse and swear. Jesus is, uh, according to the pen of inspiration, Jesus' disciples were known for having uh, a gentle tongue as compared to the uh, the common people. And so when he when he is confronted and they say, look, you're a Galilean and not, not just that you're Galilean, but that also you, you speak like one of Jesus' disciples. And so Peter decides to start cursing and swearing to pretend, to pretend, to say, to make the case even more so strongly that he doesn't know this guy. His friend. And you know, uh, Ellen White also tells us, and I know you are 
this church is no stranger to uh, the spirit of prophecy. Um, I don't know if you'll recall that um, at that moment, Jesus and Peter, they're just as Peter is denying him for the third time, that, that Jesus looks over and, and their eyes connect. And he sees him just as he's in the moment of denying him for the third time. Jesus is truly, at this point, alone. The Father is not with him, at least not that he can feel. And his friends are most certainly not with him. Picking up in the next chapter, verse verse 1. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, and again, Mark is very, very quick and concise in his storytelling, going directly from this directly to Pilate's first question to him. Are you the king of the Jews? And again, this is another question that's given to him about who he is. And so he answers it, and he says, It is as you say. And the chief priests... And the chief priests accuse him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked them again, saying, Do you answer nothing? This is the same question that the high priest asked him. Do, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, Pilate was accustomed to releasing one prisoner, prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, whom they chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. And the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered them and said to them, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Not put him to death, not put him in jail, not any manner of other types of punishments that could come to a man who had essentially not done very much, who hadn't done anything, who was completely in, uh, innocent. But when they cried out, they, they cry out, crucify him. The most painful death imaginable. And Pilate said to them, why? Even Pilate knows that there's something wrong here. Why? What evil has he done? And they cry out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, releases Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he scourged him to be crucified. And I wonder at that moment <clears throat> if Jesus' mind maybe goes to a different judgment scene, a different court scene, uh, one that we uh, as Adventists call the investigative judgment <clears throat> I'm going to read out of Daniel chapter 7. And I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne 
was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issues and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. What a contrast between the court scene that happens in heaven, one that is open, one that, and, and in fact, this is, a, this is a scene that continues to happen today. So more than a hundred of years have gone by in this decision, that, these decisions that are being made. And it is open, and it is full of light, and it is full of investigation and fairness. And a tr- it's a truth-filled scene where the one who knows everything is there. And we come back to the experience that Jesus is going through in this moment where people are bringing uh, accusations against him that are not true, that the will of the people is to kill him regardless of whatever. And the man who's in charge of it gives him over to the crowd, not because he's guilty, because he knows he's not guilty, but as it says here, to please the crowd. Picking up in verse 16. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed them with purple, purple being the color uh, at the time of royalty. And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him and put his own clothes on him and let him out to be crucified. Now I wonder as the as the soldiers bowed down to him in mocking worship, if he thought the time that there that there will be a time when all will worship him in truth and in spirit. Isaiah sixty six tells us, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me. This is a text that many Adventists are very familiar with. Not only will there be a Sabbath in heaven, but that in those moments all flesh will come to worship before me. Picking up in verse 21. And they compelled a certain man, Simon, I say, Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, and he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Jesus was so tired having been beaten to this point, having been scourged, whipped more than once. There's in fact, it isn't covered in Mark, but twice he is whipped at this point. He is so tired and he is so worn out that another man has to carry carry his cross. And they brought him, brought him to the place called Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he didn't take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what each man should take. And it was the third hour and they, when they crucified him. 
and the inscription of his accusation was written above, King of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one with on his right and the other on his left, so that the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others. Himself he can't save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, and we may believe, see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Jesus was shamed in this moment. Jesus was uh, captured by a mob. He is abandoned by his friends. He endures a mock trial. The king of the universe, and he knows it, sits through a mock trial. He's publicly beaten, publicly whipped, has a murderer, Barabbas, chosen over him. He's mocked by soldiers. He's led through the streets of Jerusalem publicly to Golgotha, where he is stripped naked and hung on a cross. And as if that wasn't enough, people passing by make fun of him. They mock him. He's mocked by passerbys. He's mocked by priests and scribes. And even his, even his position and the center of the three that are being crucified is meant as a shame, for it signified that his offense was the worst of the three offenses that were being punished at the moment. This is where uh, this verse in Hebrews comes to such fruition, where it says that we should look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of, uh, of uh, the throne of God. Continuing to on our last uh, set of verses. It says, Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And uh, Ellen White tells us that um, what happens is that almost that the Father can no longer take what is happening. And so he covers up Jesus in darkness to hide his shame. And the ninth hour, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed. And others unoffered it to him, saying, and at the same time taking away the little mercy that was offered, Let him alone and let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. 
and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. I find it amazing that Christ created us knowing what we were going to do to him. And you know, Jesus went through we have, we have to ask the question here, you know, and, and you know the question. You know the answer to the question. Why? Why did Jesus go through that? Why did Jesus, the creator who had existed from all periods, all, all time before this, in heavenly realms, glorified, worshipped, Everything that had breath was the result of him. Why did he come and go through such an experience and die on that cross? There was no one worthy like him, yes, but why did he do it? Because he loves us. He loves us. He showed us what love is, amen. He loves He loves. You and he loves me with such a love that we, it's not even captured in this, even though it seems impossible. He loves us with a love that we just cannot ever understand. You know, I have a little son and a little daughter. And, you know, I love that little boy and that little girl. And it's hard to imagine that someone can love something more than I love that little boy, but he loves us more. And not just a little bit more, twice as much more, ten times as much more. He loves us infinity amount more. Amen. And you know, this is why John, John 3.16 is the most quoted verse in the Bible. Because it tells us why. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I hope and I pray as we go through this week that we will consider that if God loves us so very much, what is it that we have to worry about? What is it that we are bearing right now that Jesus hasn't already bared, born for us. Jesus is, and God, is an all-powerful being who loves you with a love that is with all his heart. He is capable of all things. And while we live in this world that where we are fighting evil, where the, the, the story of sin is being allowed to take place, that in the end, we don't have to worry. It is actually this reality, you know, some, sometimes we have the temptation to escape to movies and to books, to fiction. Why do we have to escape to fiction when essentially the best story, the best reality that is ever possible is in fact reality? The most powerful being in the universe loves you personally with a love that is unmatched and he's all powerful may god bless you as you go through your week and as we consider these things and as we remember to the 
story of Christ and what he's done for us. Amen.